in the final week, we're going to have um, Andrew Fuller, Richard Candy, LJ, and some others talk about what does it mean to do cross-cultural neighboring, um, especially because so many of our neighbors are changing and are full of different kinds of people that we've ever had to love before. Neighbors. What does it mean? So that's our that's our uh, format for the month. But today uh, we're excited to welcome Jay. So let me pray for him, um, and then he's going to come on up. Our Father, we're so grateful that you are present here with us. Thankful for the love that you have given to us through Jesus. And Lord, we know that you now call us to extend the love that you've given us to our neighbors, to our neighborhoods. We pray that you inspire your servant Jay now as he speaks to us. Empower him and use him to stir our hearts that we might love what you call us to love. Love who you call us to love. us and empower us, we pray. All right, Jay, welcome. Let's give him a hand, guys. Good, good, good morning. How are you this morning? Doing all right? Yeah, yeah, you're avoiding the flu season. I heard, I heard there were instructions to not shake hands. Is that the rule today? Elbows. It's weird. Okay. Well, anyway, we're doing it. And by the coffee, I was like, "This is a Presbyterian." Okay. Anyway, well, I am from Denver, Colorado. Uh, last this last year, we had 318 days of full sun. And so it's a lot like here. Very and uh, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, home of the Ohio State University. Uh, go Buckeyes, there's one. So, so me and him. Uh, and, uh, and I am so excited to share with you. I got to spend time with the, uh, the men all day yesterday, tolerating me for an entire day. Uh, it was a long day for them, but they managed it. I wore them down. Uh, by the end of the day, and uh, I am so, so excited to hear what God is doing uh, in this church. And the shift towards parish life, I mean, it is a, it's a big deal. It's a big shift for the life of the church. And uh, uh, because of the book that we've written, Dave and I wrote, um, I got to travel all over the country and watch how churches are doing exactly what this church is doing, in connecting in neighborhoods, connecting in cities. It is something I believe God is doing all over the country, and you're a part of it. Uh, like I said, I'm from originally from Columbus, Ohio, and my journey starts when I was working at a large church uh, in Columbus. So my, my job, uh, which sometimes happens in large, large churches, was to try to talk people who don't want to go to church, uh, I tried to talk them to go to church, like create little tricky Thanks. Uh, sometimes we call that outreach. Uh, but that's really what it is. It's creating tricky things. And um, I had a I had a crisis one specific day because we created one of these tricky things 
which was a concert. I don't know if you've ever done, gone to a Christian concert thing. You try to get people to bring their friends so you can get them into the church, and then you like do Jesus stuff to them, you know? <laughs> and so I set up one of these concerts, and it's one of those things that everybody bring their friends. You're thinking they'll bring people to a concert uh, easier than they bring the church, right? That's the idea. And if you've ever run one of these events, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, we have, like, fog machines and lasers and flyers. We did radio stuff. And, and I'm, like, all set up. And the band's there. It's kind of a big national band. And we were set up for now. We probably have about 2,500 people at this event. And then as I'm standing outside, everything's going to set for about an hour from the concert. It occurs to me. I don't think anyone's coming. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever had an event you set up and it occurs to you, what if they don't come? And that's what hit me. So I just started calling all my friends and begging them to bring anybody. I, 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 I don't, I mean, just anyone. Just like pay them, <laughs> shove them in the vans, and make them come. Because I'm, I'm also thinking I'm going to be fired. So sure enough, we're, we're prepared for 2,500 people, and there's about like 100 <laughs> And I don't know the last time you were in a room that was set up for 2,500. And there were like 180. It's weird. It's a weird thing because the band is just doing their thing. They're doing it as though it's a stadium. You know, there's fog and lasers. And you know, they're going. And so I'm just standing in the back, like wanting to die. And so I grabbed my friends and I said, uh, we gotta go figure out what my next job's gonna be. And we went to this barbecue place. It was like two, two or three blocks from the church. So we drive around this barbecue place. I'm pretty discouraged. And we walk in, and as we walk in the barbecue place, this is a Thursday night. We walk in the barbecue place and it's full of people. I mean packed. And I look at the hostess and I said, hey, um, why is it full? It's never this full. She goes, you know what? We have this great idea. We have a band come play. <laughs> and all these people come to the band and then they just stay and have work. I went, that's a good idea. That's like a really good idea. And I had this strange realization that the exact room we were trying to create was three blocks away. And yet we were creating these other environments, hoping people would come toward us, instead of how do we engage people where they're really at? That was the first crisis. Second crisis uh, was a few months later. I've been, you know, as an intern at a church, which when you're an intern at a church, it means you do all the things other people don't want to do. Uh, that often includes having difficult meetings, like hard kind of pastoral experiences. So I, I had I had a day of like painful meetings, and I was tired of all the humans. And we had a Bible study that we were supposed to host in our apartment that night. So I called my wife and I said, "We have cancer, I just can't. I can't do it. 
buzz people and tired people. Can't do it. She goes, Jay, can't. can't cancel Bible study like an hour before the Bible study. And I went, oh, well, you can. Uh, it is not difficult. I, I will prove it to you. I can do it. Uh, and she said, no, 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 seriously, you can't cancel. I'll tell you what, and this is a great church thing. She said, we will have a fellowship Right? Because then it's not as intense. You know, we teach you, but you don't have to manage all the stuff. We'll be a little more loose. We'll just have everybody over. We'll do a potluck. Everybody brings something. We'll do a potluck. All right, that's a fair compromise. So I'm pulling up to our apartment complex. Again, I'm exhausted. And I pull up, and there's all these people standing in the courtyard. That's weird. So I walked up to the door. And as I walked up to my door, I realized these people all standing here, who I have no idea who they are, are walking in and out of my apartment. It's <laughs> weird. So I walk in my apartment, and there sitting on the couch is some guy I've never seen playing my guitar. He's just playing. <laughs> I see the people. I have no idea who they are. And I look at him, I go, hey man, that's, that's my guitar. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, you must be Jay. Yes, but that's my, that's my guitar. How does this happen? I don't know what's happening. Turns out, here's what happened. My wife, uh, Danielle, had set up the grill outside our apartment. And she's like, hey, bring some meat, bring some sides, bring this thing. Well, as she was cooking and grilling, people were coming home from work. And all the neighbors in our apartment complex. And she would just casually say, hey, we're just throwing some meat on the grill. We're having friends over, grab stuff out of the fridge, come down and hang out with us. And I'm not kidding. Hundreds of people from our apartment complex are milling in and out of our apartment. And I didn't recognize one of them. Now, I, again, I'm, I want you to think about all that in context. I am a professional Christian. <laughs> my, my job is to get people together and gather them to do church stuff. I had had a dismal failure only a few months earlier with fog machines and lasers. And my wife casually says, hey, why don't you just come on over? And be like, okay. Because we were where the people actually were. See, that, that night changed everything for us. Because then we're engaging people and we start to realize, man, there's this couple across the hallway that are on the verge of divorce. There's these people that live upstairs. I mean, they're literally directly above us that were in the midst of a domestic violence scenario. There were, was an addict down the hall who had not come out of his apartment but maybe just a few times to get food, they came and sat with us, and we started to pastor this apartment complex. And I had, just like, it was a life-changing realization that I was getting in my car to drive places to do ministry when there were people that surrounded me, that were in need. That all it took was just creating a context where we were available and that we shared a meal together. Now, I, I don't know about you, 
and, and how you think about the scriptures and what it takes for God to get a hold of you and think about the Bible. But for me, um, and I think for most people, I'm really honest, we have a crisis, and then we have to sort of reconsider faith. And it's a weird experience where you have you have something happen, and then you go back to read the Bible, and you suddenly realize that that the Bible was saying things to you all along that you didn't notice. And that's what happened to me. After that time in the apartment complex, I went back to read the scriptures, and suddenly it was like, wait a minute, this is everywhere. Page after page after page of the New Testament says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. To love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But somehow... I had turned that idea into some kind of a global idea that excluded my actual neighbors. The people that live right next to me. One specific place. Luke chapter 10. This is one of my favorites. It's a scripture that you would be very familiar with. If you don't have a Bible, I'll just read a little bit for you. But I'm pretty sure you've read it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? If you're not, if you're not asked that question, you might. You might want to. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Listen to what Jesus does. Verse 26 says, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? This is an interesting thing about Jesus. Uh, if you read all of the Gospels, Jesus is asked questions constantly. There's only two, maybe three times, depending on how you translate the three, that Jesus actually answers a question directly. Every other time when Jesus is asked a question, what does he do? He asks a question. Uh, you should try that. I'm serious, you should try it. It, it will annoy people at first, but... but, but <laughs> It's, it's an intriguing way of creating dialogue and connection, right? So this is a lawyer. This is a guy who studies the law. So he says, you know, that's a good question. One that you should know the answer to, lawyer. He says, well, you know the law. How do you read? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Full stop. Awkward stare. <laughs> you should try that. But the lawyer has a horrible realization. I'm not sure I'm doing that. I'm not sure anybody does. I mean, does anybody love God with every bit of who they are? And does everyone love their neighbor in the way they would want to be loved? For real, like in the real world. And he has this awful thought, like, I don't, do I don't know anybody does that. And so the lawyer does what lawyers do. Now, if you're a lawyer here, the Lord loves you. <laughs> I love you. You know, we all love you. But lawyer, lawyers are trained. They're trained to work with words in very precise ways. And they're, they're learned, they, they learn to work with words in, in, a, in a way that 
finds or creates loopholes. Is that not true? Some lawyers here are like, I don't like this. Let's get them. Let's get this done. Okay. Now, this is the key. I don't know if you underline your Bibles. If you, if you underline your Bible, some of you think that's legal or but if you do that, this is the verse on one says, But he wanted to justify himself. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He looks at the series of sentences. He's looking for the loophole. He goes, there it is. Neighbor. What's a neighbor? Neighbor. Neighbor. What does this word mean? It's such a complex word, neighbor. <laughs> I, I, it depends on what the definition of the word is. Correct, yeah. <laughs> correct. These are lawyer things, right? And he thinks he's got him on the ropes. And Jesus does technique number two that we should all learn how to tell. First is you answer questions with questions. And the second is you tell stories. Jesus launches into a story, like right here, which, by the way, nobody does, right? Like if somebody asks you, you know, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? You say, well, there's one so far. <laughs> But that's, that's Jesus' method, right? Like, like he, he, he moves around your direct straight line way of thinking. He forces you to examine your motivations, your heart, what makes you work with it. And so he tells the story that we commonly know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many people know the parable, but they don't realize the context. This is what's happening. And so he tells the story in the good, uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. I'm not going to go through all the little components of it. But it says there's a man who's beat up on the side of the road. Two people pass by that should know better to help him. Right? Two good, religious, nice people. And they ignore him. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. You know, we can spend all that time. But, but it's, you know, they don't want to be ritually unclean. Maybe they have a job to do at church and they don't want to mess that job up. Or whatever. There's all kinds of different ways people interpret the text. But then what ends up happening is a Samaritan, who would be like the hated people, the people that shouldn't help, this guy helps. And it, it's, it's difficult to describe adequately how shocking this story is. Um, you know, if we were going to tell this story in our current world, we might say, you know, an ISIS operative is walking along. And you... you you know, because you're hearing the story, you think he went over, right? Like you, you would think, like he, you know, if an ISIS guy sees something weak, he's like, no, he picks him up and he puts him on so takes him to the hospital, and pays them. And you know how it ends. Jesus tells the story and says, "So, Mister Lawyer Guy, with your question about what a neighbor is, who was the neighbor to the man?" And I, I love the way it goes. The lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. 
He says, I guess the one who helped. He says, yeah, okay. Go and do likewise. Good luck with that. Now here's what happens in the parable. Jesus takes the definition of a neighbor and he stretches it to include an enemy. And not just an enemy, but anyone who is in need. Anyone we come across, Jesus says, that person becomes your neighbor. Someone that is incumbent upon you when you love and follow God that you would care for them in their time of need. He stretches it. And it's a powerful teaching tool, isn't it? I mean, it's really powerful. However, my fear is, after years and years of us interpreting the same passages, we turn the idea of a neighbor into a metaphor. Because he stretched the definition so far to include an enemy that we think, well, I'm probably doing just fine then. If I ever came across a wounded terrorist, I would help. <laughs> but I haven't. So I'm killing it. I'm winning, right? What I would like us to consider together, with a little bit of time we have, is that I think that loving an enemy who's in pain is probably graduate level work. Okay? I'd like us to do kindergarten and think about what does it look like to love and serve and be connected to our actual, literal, geographic neighbors. See, because we have to go to kindergarten if we're going to do graduate work. So we're getting out the crayons, and we're trying to figure this out. Uh, I have a slide I, I want to show you, which is effectively uh, a pop quiz. Everybody, love, everybody loves pop quizzes, right? Here's what I want you to do. If you have a pen, you can play along, okay? This will, this will be really quick. It's not, it's not going to be too difficult to do. Imagine that that's like a Google map, GPS map, okay? And the middle square is your home. So with your pen and your paper right now, just write your address, maybe even your name, in that middle square. Go ahead. Just, just do that right now. Have you just staring at me. That's fine. That's fine, too. We're going to do it. Uh, the squares around that, then, are your literal, actual neighbors. So what I want you to do is in each square, in the top of each square, write the names of those neighbors. Write the names of those neighbors. Now, some of you are doing the lawyer trick right now. You're legalist. You're going, well, that's not what my street looks like. So. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a green belt behind my home. There's a creek, so I, I don't know. I guess I can't participate. Don't don't. I live in an apartment complex. Yet. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm out. No, listen. Don't be a legalist. Pick the eight closest neighbors to your home, whatever iteration, and write the names of those neighbors. I'll give you, I'll give you a second. You can just do it in your mind. Write the names of those neighbors. And as you're writing those, in the middle of each box, just write some attributes about them. Maybe something like, is a lawyer, is from Idaho, plays basketball, whatever. You can't write, like, drives a red car. <laughs> that's that's cheating. Like, attributes that require an interaction. Okay? 
And then as you're writing that, which looks about six of you are, in the bottom of each box, you can write, what are their hopes, what are their dreams, what are their regrets, their fears, their desires? You can see what I'm doing, right? We're talking about, do you just know who these people are? Then kind of, how, how does their life work? And then, what is sort of the center of how they operate? What would maybe even be their spiritual condition? What do you think about God? What do you think life's Because that's your pop quiz. Um, in our church, this has been affectionately referred to as the chart of shame. So, uh, if this isn't pleasant, uh, I understand. But, but I want to review for a second, and we're going to come right back to this, okay? Let's review. Jesus says, all along the prophets are summed up in this. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. I says, well, what's a neighbor, really? He says, oh, a neighbor is anyone who's in need. That's a graduate level. I'm asking you to go to kindergarten. Let's just do like the simplest, smallest example of a neighbor. Because it's true that someone who's suffering in Africa is your neighbor. But that person being your neighbor doesn't mean that your literal geographic neighbor is any less your neighbor. They also are. And then, I'm asking, you know, do you know their names? Like your literal names. Right? Because, listen, I'm not a, a theologian, uh, but I'm pretty sure that loving someone might include knowing their name. It's pretty deep, right? Deep thought, deep theological truth. You know, if I said, oh man, you love your wife. Yeah, what's your name? I have no problem. <laughs> That's a problem. Like something went really, oh, oh yeah, my, my great friend, my best friend, so-and-so. Man, we've been so connected. Don't, I, don't, I don't ever know his name. That would be a problem. And there's something remarkable about knowing and retaining someone's name that demonstrates you care about. I don't know if you have a coffee shop you like going to, or a restaurant, or maybe even a grocery store, and someone knows your name. Isn't that, isn't that quite phenomenal? <clears throat> then you walk in, and it's not like, hello, sir, it's, hey, Jay, let me start your drinks off. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm important here. And you are connected to them. I know their name. Yeah, my the barista, I know it. It demonstrates connection, and that we care. And there is a huge difference in your neighborhood between saying, but hey, what's up, bro, bro, man, dude? And, <laughs> you know that thing, like, hey! You know that, right? I don't know what your version is. It's probably has some version of that. But your version might be, like, I don't know, I can't remember that guy's name. And saying, hey, Dave, how are the kids? You, you know, last time we talked, your son was trying out for
Now, do you, do you want to, if you play along, how many of you know all eight names? When we do this, it's usually about, it's 5% or less that know the names of all the neighbors that surround them. So who, who, who here is like, I got all those right now. I'm going to make you stand up and stand. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, all of a sudden, hands go down. Like, Never mind, I don't really know. I don't know. Okay, yeah, okay, so, so we're, let's say 5%-ish in this room. And listen, I, I joked a minute ago that this is called the, the chart of shame. And I, I would say, and I hope you know this to be true, that shame is useless, it's unhelpful, and it's dangerous. But conviction is powerful. Conviction calls us forward into becoming something else. Shame squishes us down and says, you're a loser, and that's how you think. And if we believe that the scriptures are true, and that God calls us to love our literal neighbors, maybe for some of you, it's just taking one step this week to say, I'm going to know and retain the names of our neighbors. And you might even go crazy and start to pray for them. God, how can I love these people? How can I serve them? And I've always learned that leadership is raising the bar really high. Right? You raise the bar, you try to live this way, that other people will sort of kind of fall under that. Here's what we're doing when we talk about this, uh, this block. We are lowering the bar so low, you can't get under it. <laughs> I, I'm just saying... <laughs> Seriously, can you just meet one human this week? Like, just, just one. One person you don't know their name. And for some of you, it's this awkward experience where it's like, I've met this person 25 times. This, I've lived here 20 years. I've lived here 30 years. You walk across like, hey. hey you, you, you can take a real gamble. I'm going to give you a thing you can try. You can walk across and go, hey. I am so sorry. I don't remember your name. Do you remember my name? And you just hope they don't. Because yeah. <laughs> then it kind of creates like a reciprocity. But when, it, when they're like, oh yeah, Jay, I know you. You're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you. <laughs> and in our, in, our, in our home, we made a magnet of this. It's on the fridge. And we fill in the names. And we begin to pray for these people. And I'll tell you what, if you can know and retain names and begin to pray, and then maybe some of you are like, no, I know, I know all these. Then if you start to say, what if we could share a meal? What if we make one more step, and that maybe part of loving people isn't just knowing and retaining names, but to share some space with them, to be connected. And there's something about sharing a meal, and, and by the way, I have like a prophetic guess about all your neighbors right now. You ready? I know your names. They eat around the same time you do. Wow. Deep, huh? It's pretty deep. And so if you just say, listen, we're eating, why don't you come eat with us? They also will watch similar things that you watch. Right? So like UVA basketball, you guys are pretty good these days. People are probably watching those games, right? Right? I mean, and so, hey, we're going to watch game. Why don't you come over? Let's hang out. Let's let's connect. I want to. You, if you own a home, people are doing similar kinds of yard work. They have the same kind of problems. They're still doing. They have to mow their lawns. They have to care for their lawns. They have to like mulch and bed and do all kinds of random stuff, right? You could 
do whatever they're doing together. You create contexts where you begin to connect, share meals, share space. And listen, I just want you to imagine what would happen if every believer in this city knew and loved and served the eight closest neighbors. It's possible that Jesus is a genius. I don't know if you ever consider that. <laughs> I mean, if you ask people, who are the smartest people that ever lived? <coughs> Believers often don't miss Jesus. Uh, it's possible he's a genius. It's possible he gave us a way to change our cities through simple, small interactions. The, the problem is we actually have to try it with doing with the leading city. By the way, governments all around us are begging us to be the church. This launched in our city because our mayor sat with a group of pastors and he told us all the things he was hoping would change in our city. Listed all this random stuff. New programs, after school programs. At the end of it, he crumpled up his paper, put it in his pocket, and he said, you know, I was thinking on the way here, we could be a city of great neighbors. Every problem we experience from the government would be greatly reduced or eliminated. A month later, we met with the assistant city manager. She stood on the stage and said this to us. I mean, it was jarring. All these pastors in the room said, from the perspective of the city, there is no noticeable difference between the way that believers and unbelievers actually neighbor. It's indiscriminate. And we were coming to the city because we want to do some kind of cool, sexy program for like schools or whatever. They said, you know what would be great if you just shoveled your neighbor's driveway. That would like change things. Like, no, cooler. You know, like something <laughs> more interesting. You know, we put on a flyer or whatever. And I'll tell you, these moves in the life of our church and in the life of our city has changed the fabric of our city. It's been I'll just finish very quickly with a little story. Um, as we started to get to our neighbors, when we started this, uh, we moved. We planted our church the kids. As we got to know our neighbors, uh, I don't want to give the impression it just, like, is easy. As we started to get our neighbors across the street, my, my, uh, my wife bakes pies, and so she we would go to take pies to... Uh, our neighbors, and the one neighbor's across the street, they literally wouldn't open the door. they looked look through and like, you leave it there. Okay, great, just leave it there. Just leave it right there. And like years later, as we had to be friends, they were like, we didn't eat that. We just threw it away. But somehow, we grabbed their names, maybe one of the days in the, the driveway, and we had their name up, and we would just pray for them. We pray for all our neighbors every day. And one day, out of the blue, my wife uh, called me and she said, I was praying and I was thinking about our neighbors across the street. I was thinking about Lisa. She just keeps coming to mind. So I said, right? like, that is so weird. That's what happened to me this morning. I said, you should walk over there. And sure enough, there's Lisa standing in the driveway. She just walks across and said, Lisa, uh, this is going to sound strange, but I've been thinking about you a lot today. And I was praying and I thought about you. Are you in trouble? 
least a person in tears. I was diagnosed with cancer. I'm not going to kill I'm freaking out. I have small kids. I have cancer in my leg. It's bone cancer. I'm going to have to get chemo. It's terrifying. And Daniel said, I'd love to pray for this. My wife and I pray with you. So she prays with her. And Lisa said, this is so meaningful. Man. Can we do this more? Would you pray with me? She said, I'd love to pray with Day to day out here and there, we pray with Lisa. And it was about three weeks later, she was going to start her They did one more scan to make sure her scene was degenerating. And she was instantly healed. There's no cancer.
10 years later has changed the entire composition of family. So big dramatic moments, honestly. It's a series of small, consistent realities. But if everybody lives God, I pray for each one of us here this morning. We say together that we are easily distracted. Lord, there are so many things that occupy our minds, our time, our energy. I pray God, that you are moving in our neighborhoods right now. You're speaking, you're leading, drawing. We just want to part of the We want to do what you're doing. So I pray for you now that you would have the heart of God in your neighborhood. Scripture said that everyone's been by God, whatever you might reach out for and come to know you have been assigned where you live. May God use you to bring his kingdom all the little ways to everyone that surrounds you. May the welcome of his kingdom be known in and through you. May God use you as his hands. Use your eyes to shine the light and the hope of His glory. May you empower your mouth to speak of His goodness, to love well. I mean, like, I don't know, it's in a box somewhere. 
You wouldn't say it's lost, right? You'd say, I don't really care. <laughs> Jesus is referring to things that are lost that you care about. That, that God's heart is for people that are far from you know, in a way that everything stops until they come home, until they're found. And then when we get God's heart, we reorient and prioritize our lives to be about what He's doing. Here's your riff. You said something about, like, we don't love people to convert them. Yep. We love them because we are converted. Can you say something that to everybody? Else? Yes. Uh, I, I fundamentally just believe that the Great Commission is subsumed within the Great Command. Meaning that when we love God and we love people really well, we will talk about the love of God. And when we're thinking that I love people so that I can convert them, they become projects. And it doesn't feel very good. I don't know if you've ever been a target for something. Anything, really. Uh, it's a weird feeling. And what I think instead is, uh, we don't love people who convert them. We love them because we're converted. We are the kind of people that love people. And we talk about what we love. So when we're with people, we're sharing real life. We are going to talk about life. I hope you'll talk about Jesus. Because when you talk about stuff you love, I hope Jesus is deep. And I'm sure there's also, you know, the eagles. <laughs> uh, there might be golf or fly fishing or Pinterest or whatever. Uh, but I hope somewhere in there, when you talk about the things you love, you talk about Jesus. And the real issue for me, I think the great challenge is not that um, I need to try to talk people or teach people how to share their faith. The hard question I have as a pastor is asking, why don't is not because they need to learn about the Dead Sea Scrolls or read more C.S. Lewis. I think mostly, though that's good, by the way, uh, I think it's mostly because they live shallow. We live shallow lives with God. And we live deeply with God and we live deeply with Jesus. And we talk about what we love. Right, my question is connected to that. I don't think we want to be shallow. I don't think we want to love our neighbors. Yep. So what keeps us from doing those things? And busyness is the number one thing. Uh, I doubt there's anyone here going, man, this is so helpful. I had that extra 10 hours a week. I wasn't sure what to do with it. Uh, this is going to fill that right in. I, I, I don't know anyone. And by the way, that's any life stage. It doesn't matter what life stage you're in, you're busy. Isn't that right? I mean, so if you're imagining the next one gets better, that's a lie. <laughs> right? Like right? Like married couples look at single people and go, you have so much time. Use your time. And then married couples with small kids look at married couples without kids and go, travel. <laughs> right? And yet, and yet at every stage, you look forward and say, if only the kids could get when the kids get out of school, if I only get the kids to graduate and get out of my house all the time, and then I'm back and all that, right? And then, and then once I retire, everything's going to free up, right? And I'm going to retire, and everything's going to free up, and then there's grandkids, and then once the grandkids, 
get older. I don't have to manage them, and then and then you're dead. So <laughs> you just have to say, I have to, I have to reprioritize my life around what Jesus says is really important. And you can do that by jamming things together. You already eat meals, put your neighbors in your home. You already do yard work, do that stuff with neighbors. You, you know, there's all these things that you can just consolidate energy, not just try to create. There's, there's two I, mics. I stole mine. Okay, you're in. Um, so you alluded to how difficult it would be to approach a neighbor that you should know and don't know their name. Yep. Any other practical advice? And then I think in the book we talk about block parties or phone trees and safety and yeah. like that. Oh, there's so many. I mean, again, what's hard is neighborhoods are so different, right? So I don't know every neighborhood. But there's a few things that tend to work like, for example, if you can start to get to know one another, um, you know, block parties are a blast. Your city wants you to do a block party. Um, so most cities, if you fill out a form, they'll block the street for you for free. There are some cities they'll even give you money to do this. So in our city, from all the stuff that we've done, they build, they have a truck that's full of tables, chairs, grill, signs, and they'll give you $100 to buy ice cream if you will just fill out the application that truck is used every single week um, and they do it for free because again when there's a cohesiveness in the city the city needs to change uh, if you, here's a weird stat if you know the names of your neighbors and you have a way to contact them, the crime rate drops in half and the simple reason is because you can call people when something looks weird right now if you don't have their number you just kind of go Somebody's like getting into a car, you're like, they look strange. I don't know who they are. They may even be living. I don't know. I mean, it isn't, it isn't just that we don't know their names. We could pick them out of a lineup half the time. <laughs> so just that li those little steps, even to say that, say, I just would love to know your name, and maybe we can get some just in case something comes up, call one another. People kind of have an intuition about that. So simple things, parties, getting on another yard work doing things that are fun, uh, talking about the parking dog that nobody likes, what's in every neighborhood. Uh, if, if you don't have a barking dog in your neighborhood you're aware of, it's just, it's, it's your worst. <laughs> 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 yeah. Last one. Really, really a lot of our churches really doing lots of ministry all over the city. 
yeah, how do you do it? Right? Don't waste so much time. I love the question. So here's what I first, the first thing I want to acknowledge before this ask. Isn't that a great problem? Yeah. Like, we, we don't live in a world where we're not going to have problems. So the question is, I like your question because it's the kind of problem that you want to have. You want to have the problem that we love people so much that we're so in the pulse of what's happening all over our city that we have to figure out what to do. We have to figure out how to pray and work together. And what you're asking, whether you know it or not, is a classic pastor question. Pastors have to answer that question all day, every day. Like, there's never a day that any of the pastors here, correct me if I'm wrong, are like, wow, we did it all. <laughs> I, might, I might even live or leave early today. Uh, that never happens. What you're describing now is that this church is empowering, which is by the job, by the way, the, the scriptures call pastors to be this, is empowering the church to be the church. And you're feeling the burden that pastors feel. But now you're feeling that as someone who's actually being the church in your neighborhood. So the first thing I would want to say is, that's great news. It feels like pressure, but it demonstrates you're connected with God's name. And that this church is trying to structure itself to be connected to those realities, right? So instead of just being like, I don't know, if they show up, we might help them. But no, we have people who are connected, they're trying to figure this out. And what will happen as a result of that is that these pastors want you to succeed in that. And new trainings here, new opportunities, and there's more coaching that becomes available. Because again, the job of pastors, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the So I want to have a church where everyone's coming to me every single Sunday. Like, I don't know, this person's going to be forced. What do I do? What they usually want to do is hand me the bill. <coughs> Jay, can you call them? No. I would love for you to call them. Here's like three things I think I can do to help you. Here's a class. So I'm not answering your question on purpose because I hope that keeps happening. I hope every single person in this room is thinking those thoughts. Wouldn't that be exciting? The rest of your life. No. <laughs> I think it would, and, and, and you get to see the ministry of Jesus in your new which is really, really, really fun. And uh, what makes for meaningful life? The reason people are born in church is because church has become an assembly and not empowering their sins. People want to live in their lives. Jay, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to leave early today. Jay's going to be here for a few minutes if you want to say hi to him. We have a Jobs for Life uh, table on the way out if you'd like to see more information. And thank you all for being here so much. Thank you very much.